This week, Badge Boys honors and remembers Commander Greg Cargo of the Phoenix Police Department and his sacrifice. On March 29, 2020, Commander Greg Carnico was shot and killed while trying to resolve a barricade situation. The suspect emerged from a room and shot Commander Carnico and two other officers. The other officers survived their injuries, but sadly, Commander Carnico succumbed to his injuries. He survived by his wife and four children. This repeat of an episode from Badge Boys where we talk with retired Phoenix Police Lieutenant Bill Shimmers in regards to that horrible, horrible day is an honor and tribute to Commander Greg Carnicle. Rest in peace, my friend. Overlooking Phoenix, from high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios, Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have a very solemn, special Badge Boys edition. This is a tribute to fallen hero Commander Greg Carnicle and two female officers, Alicia Hubert and Marissa Dowhan, who were with him and were also wounded and shot in the line of duty. Then we're going to talk to guests who knew Greg, the commander, as well as myself, and we're going to talk about our shootings, how Something so mundane as a civil matter standby, a non-crime, in a blink of an eye, can become lethal. So stay tuned, stay informed, and be back for this tribute. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Badge Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed... Jason is an inspiration, and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car, and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, Reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Unfortunately, there was a horrific event over the weekend here in Phoenix, Arizona, where a commander, he was the highest ranking officer on duty, was killed 
during a civil matter standby between roommates. Horrific. And yet you hear very little of it if you're not in Phoenix, Arizona. It hasn't made the national news. Yeah, and it's unprecedented. And Jason knows full well what it's like to go on these police shootings. Horrifically, what we refer here as a 999 officer down. Um, Jason, tell us a little bit about your experience with just the briefing of those and the call out of that. Well, I mean, if if you've ever experienced just the call on the radio, if you've been on duty and you've heard those numbers, I mean, every department across the country has their code. Uh, When you hear that, it's an indescribable feeling in the gut of anxiety and fear and and of course the overwhelming what can i do right now yeah. to, to to help that uselessness and yes and uh but then you know my my times you know i was only a patrol officer for a short time and uh the several 999s that i went on were when i was in homicide and uh, one involved the murder of two of our officers and a couple of times where officers were shot and thankfully did not die and then uh my final one was Officer David Uribe, who was murdered on a, a traffic stop. My squad was on call at the time. So it's just a, it's a horrific event. It doesn't matter if you've got three months on the department or 31 years and are close to retirement. But what we're talking about here today with Greg Carnicle is it truly is unprecedented to have the highest ranking person on the streets of the city that I love shot and killed on a uh, a call that just i've gone on thousands uh, thousands of times yeah a civil matter and you know once you find out the details of this call uh it's people will always say that oh the officer was a hero the officer did this but not only are we talk about the highest ranking person on the department at the time but truly he led from the front and that's the reason true leader that, that he was shot and killed in the line of duty. He didn't, most supervisors would turn to their, their subordinates and they would say, okay, here's what you need to do. That's the reason we have a chain of command. That's how the levels go. It's not uh, the wrong thing. Greg, the other night did not do that. He went first and made the decisions and he lost his life because of it. He had the most experience with 31 years. He had worked all these details, you know, SWAT, canine and he volunteered to be what we call car for the the commanding officer on the night shift he wanted to finish his career this is months not, away from retirement this is not a coveted this is not a position that all commanders want i mean work oh, the it's night usually shift. the rookie commander yes takes you, yes yes and this greg did not greg volunteered yes i want to finish my career yes. doing this which is uh, that's astonishing and and to his credit again uh that that he volunteered, but I also think of his family right now because heartbreaking when he, I guarantee when he went to work every night as a commander, you're finally at the point as a family member where you're like, all right, we're good. They're finally safe. Nothing is going to happen yeah. to you as a commander. And this goes to show you to everybody listening out there. It absolutely, when you can have the highest ranking member on duty of the fifth largest city in the country shot and killed on a civil matter standby then it is time to stand up and take notice of truly what's going on right now in the world of law enforcement and you mentioned details we're now going to hear a sound clip of the details coming from the phoenix police 
PIO Mercedes Fortune. Good morning, Sergeant Mercedes Fortune, M-E-R-C-E-D-S-F-O-R-T-U-N-E, the Phoenix Police Department. As you can imagine, this is a very difficult time. I will give you some of the information that I've learned this morning. Yesterday, at approximately 4.40 in the afternoon, officers responded to a residence near the area of 40th Drive and Pinnacle Peak. The initial call was of a family fight. What they learned later was that it was roommates that were calling on an additional roommate who was acting strange and a bit erratic. They were asking officers to show up and help them remove that roommate from that residence. When officers arrived, the roommate was cooperative. There was no indication that there was any, any problems. They were helping him remove some of that property. At some point, as they were leaving that residence, that suspect closed the door and left officers outside of the residence. Additional officers arrived. They were able to go inside, to the, inside the residence one more time. They were able to speak to that roommate. During that conversation, the roommate did not want to exit that, that house. There was converse, additional conversations. At some point, the three officers walked up the stairs, and that's when that suspect opened fire on the officers. Commander Greg Carnicle was struck. The two additional female officers were also struck. Of the additional officers that responded to that scene as they entered that house to ensure that those officers were removed safely is incredible. The three officers were removed from that residence. That suspect remained inside that house. Officers were transported to the hospital. The two officers that were injured are expected to survive. They do have gunshot injuries. Commander Greg Carnicle was pronounced deceased at the hospital. Eventually, the officers that remained on scene remained with that suspect in hopes that the suspect would come out of that residence and surrender. He did not. At some point, that suspect exited that residence. Officers confronted him. He was armed, and an officer involved shooting occurred. That suspect has been pronounced deceased at the scene. As you can imagine, we have investigators all night here. It has been very difficult. We will be out here for the next few hours. I want to thank the community for all the support and all our law enforcement partners as well and our fire partners. That suspect is 22 years old, and I will provide any additional information, hopefully later this morning. So that was it. That was the official press briefing that following morning. There's more we'll learn from body camera, from witnesses, the roommates, the officers, the heroism of those officers, specifically one. um, We won't go into detail now. We'll let the the dust settle, but there's such heroism. There's so many things we can learn from this horrific tragedy. Uh, But I want to bring in our guest now, retired Phoenix Police Lieutenant Bill Shimmers, who is a dear friend. In fact, I'll, I'll just be honest. He's my best friend. We're going to bring him on. He also uh, knew Commander Carnicle, and they both worked at a precinct uh, here in Phoenix, referred to as Maryville, and arguably, not to them, but arguably one of the uh, most difficult to uh, work precincts. There's a lot of shootings, a lot of, uh, uh, you learn to be, you learn how to be a cop real fast in, in Maryville. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, Darren. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Bill, if you would, just 
in just a, a brief way, if you could talk a little bit about what you knew of uh, Commander Carnical, or as I refer to him as Greg. Um, I knew him early on in his career, so he was always Greg, <laughs> even as a commander. Can you tell me a little bit about your uh, observations, if you will? Yeah, and, and yeah, you're you're spot on with regards to the the West Valley. I mean, I was born and raised in the West Valley, and I uh, ended up patrolling it. I mean, I know uh, uh, Greg worked out there as well. And first of all, my heart goes out to the Phoenix Police Department family and and to the Carnical family. Miles away, you hear about the the tragedies when you're part of the, the Phoenix family, as uh, myself and my wife are. So uh, thoughts and prayers out to everybody out there. Um, in, in my time, my path ran across his. We never actually worked together, um, uh, but we utilized each other's services, if you will. I, uh, when he was on SWAT, uh, used him for a few of the search warrants that we went through. And then later on, he was a young lieutenant. Uh, our paths crossed a few times, but uh, both coming from uh, the Maryvale area, you, you have that tie in. It seems like a lot of people have that tie into the, the Far West Valley. Yeah. Uh, I'm still reeling in from the, uh, the pain, the shock. Um, the first person I talked to when I heard it on the radio was you, Bill. That's why you're on right. the show. Uh, you right. called and you had additional information uh, that I didn't have. I uh, I heard on the uh, uh, really just a text that uh, there was a, uh, a horrible shooting with and uh, Commander Greg, uh, sorry, Greg Carnicle had passed away. And then the phone rang and I answered the phone. And uh, can you tell me what you told me? Well, you probably have to bleep out what, what I initially said, but in a nutshell, it's not like, on this what's show. going on? <laughs> it's like, what, what's going on? I had heard three, three officers down, and um, I don't think at that particular moment, in, in fact, the way I heard it was a commander was down. Well, knowing a night shift, and you know, you and I spent half of our career working the night shift. If it's nights or weekends, we knew it was car four. Um, and I go, there's no way car four would have been out on a call like this because uh, car four just doesn't go on calls like this. And, and, uh, you know, we were getting a little bit of information. My wife is really up to speed with a lot of things that still go on and she's in contact all the time. And so we were getting bits and pieces, not all of it was accurate. Um, but I'm sitting here, there's no way this could be car four. And, and, uh, it didn't take long. I mean, uh, to find out that yeah, car four, which was commander Carnicle, was the one out on the call. And, uh, uh, that's amazing for all. That's amazing for every th- reason you could think of. And then I learned from you that the names of the other two female officers that we yeah. knew were young junior officers. Right. And I hate to say it, now that I'm a dinosaur, uh, there's very few young new officers that I know. I mean, I could probably exactly. on one hand and not use four fingers, <laughs> you know, just have one finger to say how many officers I know. And, and, and unfortunately for me, it was... Alicia Hubert and uh, right, yeah, and, and I was just going to say, I I remember because the name came in. My wife told me the name. I said, "Well, I can't be right. There's only two Huberts on the police department that I was aware of, and and you and I worked with them um, both. But I know they had a daughter, and that's the other part I wanted to run by you. Is is she a Phoenix police officer now? Um, and you were kind of like in awe. This can't be true. Type of a yeah. Response. And we must be honest. I screamed and I pretty much hung a phone up on you. I believe. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, you you were silent for a while, but yes, you were screaming. Uh-huh. And uh, I know Alicia uh, just like you do, Bill, through her parents. But having been in the Valley for so long and, and being truly good friends with both um, Jerry and Paul, her father, uh, when I heard she was involved and in, in possible had died, uh, I lost it. I yeah, really the initial did. no, the initial report was that that she had, and I just taught her victimology and. In her academy class, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, and 
uh, that was the initial report that was that she was gone as well. So I cannot imagine uh, your your I first. Had, I feel like I had just talked to her, you know, days. It was actually probably months and months. Um, I had the honor of, of her calling me and asking for advice about yeah. w- what kind of service she wanted to give to the community in terms of whether it's local police, whether it's military, whether it's um, federal. Uh, this was when she was college. And so I talked with her for hours, you know, about, yeah. you know, her path. And so when I heard that, it, I was already injured emotionally um, regarding Greg, uh, having known Greg. And then when I heard that, I lost it. I won't lie. I lost it. And um, what the reason I'm bringing this up, because she is fine. The good news is she's fine. She was shot in the back. And thank heaven she had her vest. She was also shot in the foot. Uh, I won't go into details, uh, but she's out of the hospital. She's going to make a full recovery, but it's the emotional. Physically, I would say physically, thank you. she's going to make a full recovery. It's mentally, that emotional. Men- oh. Mentally and emotionally, what she saw and felt, uh, unless you're unless you're in that room, no, you can't speak. Because every yeah. shooting, and I wasn't in one, uh, I, thank God I was not in one. You were, but they are. They all have... Their differences and their variances. All unique. But she is going to spend the rest of her career knowing that she was in the house when Car 4 was murdered. And that alone alone is going to be a weight that most people can't imagine carrying. So we all have to be there for her and for Marissa. Thank you. And for the rest of the the squad. because The heroes that came running uh, in. You guys knew Greg. I've, I've met him a few times. And like uh lt's kind of more in passing i mean i and i know his face i know what kind of a person he is but i wasn't friends with him so my thoughts and my heart immediately goes to his family i mean he was a dad and yeah. he's just oh, even right great um, family man you know, and, I, I, and i keep repeating i'm just astonished that it was car four i'm astonished that it was the highest ranking member in the city of phoenix but now that that part's fast it's you know he he's just greg he was a dad he was a baseball coach and i'm just like You've got to be kidding me yeah. right now that this took place. So, and as much attention as we should be talking about, as it regarding Greg and who he was and what an inspirational leader he was, uh, there was Alicia and Marissa there as well, and then all the people coming. So, I want to kind of, if you will, bear with me, bear with us, and transition a little bit and talk about a shooting that you were involved in, Bill, because it does kind of show these shootings and how there's so many things that happen uh, when when they not just the shooting itself but the fallout so if you could bring us back to a shooting that you uh, were involved in as a junior the most junior sergeant if i recall correctly on the department yes uh in maryville and tell us about that shooting well and, and to be fair i wasn't actually involved in it other than the fact that i was responding uh supervisor to the shooting um, you know, it, in, it was my sixth week on as a sergeant, and um, not to, to go away from this shooting, but during that six weeks, Darren, you were involved in your shooting at the same time, because I remember responding to yours, so um, it was baptism by fire for me. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I was working uh, with the, at that particular time, the 83 area, which was the far east part of uh, Maryville, and, and I can remember the time, it was between 5 and 6 o'clock on a Sunday, again a weekend night. And um, there were three sergeants on duty, and this is what I would call the perfect storm, if you will, because um, between five and six at night was the only time period the entire week where there was no lieutenant on for our precinct. There was coverage by a, another precinct from a lieutenant. So we had no lieutenant. We had um, uh, the other two sergeants, which were much senior to me, and then myself, again, six weeks on as a sergeant. Um, 
and, and no lieutenant. Well, r- roughly a little after five o'clock at night, I remember the hot tune coming out, and I believe it was of an unknown trouble. And um, uh, uh, it was in our precinct, but it was in the far west part. And officers uh, responded, and the two other supervisors in our precinct responded. I'm thinking, well, we're in good shape. There's two supervisors heading out that way. I'll do. I'll start kind of cruising that way to cover their area. And so they all switched over, and I'm still monitoring traffic on ours. And it was a short time later uh, that you hear the triple nine come out. And, you know, and you guys have already mentioned it. It's just one of those eerie tones that you'd never forget. And um, so now I'm picking up the pace, and I'm thinking, well, we're still in good shape. We've got two sergeants that are much closer, um, I switched over, and, and but I'm not hearing anybody clearing, which was good because when you're on the radio, you don't want to hear a bunch of people talking. It was the older model radios, too, where four people talk, four people are going to cover each other. And so I'm picking up the pace moving out that way, and I'm thinking, well, my guys are all over here uh, around my area. And so I'm thinking, okay, we're good so far, but it's a triple nine, so nothing's good about that. I'm cruising over, and I'm still not hearing supervisors. I'm still not hearing supervisors. Um, and again, I'm the most junior sergeant in the entire city of phoenix at that particular point and, and for non-cops and, that is so unusual <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm, again the most well and you gotta think uh again nights weekends and in maryville you're not going to get a lot of senior guys working and uh very similar to the carnival uh, uh shooting if you will you just don't get a lot of volunteers to go nights and weekends you typically have your junior people and and and, and ours was no different but i'm cruising out there and I'm probably still about five minutes away when I, I realized at that point, I don't know if it was a dispatcher that emailed or uh, sent me a message on our MDT. At that point, I realized it was the other two sergeants. No wonder I'm not hearing anybody on scene as far as calling out. Taking control. Yeah, there was no and and but with a triple nine, everybody in their in the world is, is flowing out there. And, you know, you just see uh, red lights and hear sirens from everywhere. Now. I go instantly, I go from the most junior sergeant in the entire city to the senior guy that's able to work in Maryville because we had no lieutenant yet. And again, it's the perfect storm. Well, again, I'm still driving out there and I find out one of my officers is the one also shot. We had the two sergeants and an officer that went down in that one incident. Um, and now just all kinds of, of chaos is going through my, my mind uh, as we get out there. And by the t- time I get up to the scene or close to it, um, there had already been a couple specialty units that rolled in that were on duty. Ironically enough, if you will, um, the, uh, the male sergeant, his wife was on duty, and she was working a special operations, and they were the, the first group in there, and they extracted. She extracted her own husband. Wow. Um, and, uh, and my officer and uh, the other sergeant, and at that point, that you know, the building was totally surrounded. It was a house, uh, um, and this is, if I recall right, this is one of those Scenarios, it's very good. It's going to be very similar uh, to the incident the other night. Uh, the guy took, I believe, seven shots, and he dropped three officers through a wall. Um, through a wall. Uh, not through a wall. Not yeah. not seeing his not seeing his target. Uh, he knew they were there, uh, and I believe it was one of my one officer that got hit as well. That got one shot off, and uh, that's when the, uh, the 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 shots from him started ringing out, and uh, uh, he dropped uh, um, both the sergeants and my officer. Fortunately, they weren't 
life-ending, although they were life-changing. And career-ending. Career-ending. They were career-ending, absolutely. And that's um, the one thing I, I want to talk about in the sense of you hear, like, the officers will be fine, and that's something the media says. They use that word fine. Yeah, right. No, they're not yeah. fine. They will. Re- no. they, they may make a recovery. It may not be a full recovery. Uh, it may be career-ending. It's definitely life-changing. Uh, and then it changed you because now you are taking on this leadership as the most junior sergeant in the city. <laughs> it was it was only a couple hours earlier that I was sitting at my desk with them and they're explaining me how to do paperwork as a sergeant. Um, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was crazy. And, and in their cases, they were both medically retired. Not uh, you know, and I can't uh, speak for them mentally. I'm sure there's a lot going on there, but theirs were because of the strike to their body that they weren't able to function 100 percent as a police officer. So. Um, they ended up taking a medical retirement. So yes, it changed their outlook on life. And I can't even speak for them mentally that how that probably affects them. They, I know for a fact, I, I'm, I'm a Facebook friend with one of them and, um, she still, uh, is taking on surgeries and, and doing rehab to try to keep herself operating as best as she can. Some two decades later, two decades later. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that's a great place for us to go to our station break and come back with another guest who coincidentally also has the last name of Shimmers and was also involved in a shooting. (laughs) We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Bad Boys, everybody. Uh, again, we are here with very heavy hearts, heavy minds, and talking about a difficult situation and week. Uh, with, uh, there's just hundreds of things that can go on with this, but we are honored to have a uh, husband and wife, uh, Lieutenant Bill Shimmers, who uh, I know, and his wife, Kelly, who is now going to join us. Uh, and Kelly has her own story uh, 25 years ago, uh, was involved in her own critical incident, her own shooting, uh, service with the, uh, Phoenix PD and Maryville precinct. So I know, sh- uh, she knows, I mean, I'm only sitting here today because of an officer named Mark Axon who was killed in Maryville on March 26th of 1999. So, uh, Kelly, I thank you for joining us and, uh, would love for you to, share our story and Darren you probably have a little uh a little better intro being that Bill her husband is your best friend I'm sure you know a few details that Kelly might not share with us I do (laughs) and I absolutely blackmail Bill on a regular basis Uh, what I will or won't tell Kelly how are you doing Kelly good thank you thank you for having me as well oh absolutely uh Kelly is a a stellar officer having worked um in in a sense we worked together when you came up to um I say up that because it was on the second floor of, of, the, of uh, sex crimes. You did some shadows. You were one of those uh, officers that just wanted to get into 
everything. You were just absolutely. In fact, I think you still are that officer. You're still. <laughs> I always, am. Yeah, you still have strong still connections. Uh, you knew about the shooting <laughs> yeah. before I knew about it. Um, and you have worked uh, not just a big city in Phoenix, but you also worked a small department. You kind of were thinking about going to a small department. You came from a small town, if I'm even reading that correctly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your career in terms of Phoenix? And then you went to a smaller city here in the Valley where something occurred. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. When I was employed with Avondale Police Department back in the mid-90s, I uh, worked patrol there. And um, geez, I didn't even have a year on. I was still on probation. And... Uh, we received a call for a fight at a trailer park, and um, when I worked with that department, um, I don't recall how many were working that shift. I believe four for the entire city, and uh, another female officer and I responded, and um, upon arriving at the trailer park, uh, people were scattering uh, everywhere, and um, we came upon the trailer that it was believed to be occurring at, and uh, as we're walking up, we're trying to catch people running off, asking if they'd seen anything. No, no. Well, um, pretty much was broken up by then and uh, seemed everything was pretty calm. We uh, were told that the subject that was involved had run into his trailer and uh, we happened to look over in that direction. And first thing I see, I see a long gun with the red strap. And uh, immediately, you know, you try to take cover and, uh, um, I remember yelling for him to drop the weapon and uh, he refused to do so. And um, still I'm in the street of this trailer park and he's right on the porch. And um, I opened up fire and uh, I realized I didn't even see where the other officer was, but she fired as well. And uh, the subject dropped to the ground and uh, we're calling for more units. And um, he ended up crawling back into the trailer. So we ended up having a barricade and, uh, having to call several other agencies out. And at that time, we didn't know if he had been shot or not. But uh, minutes turned into uh, hours. I don't remember how long he was uh, holed up, but we had to call, uh, I think it may have been DPS's uh, SWAT team out and uh, had a helicopter calling orders. They finally ended up getting him out, and uh, he was transported. He was conscious, and he was shot once. So it ended it, but... Yeah, again, nothing like you'd ever expect. Yeah, something, I hate to use the word nothing call because there is no such thing as a nothing call. There's nothing mundane. There's innocuous calls. Everything you do as a police officer, whether it's contacting a citizen for just a check welfare, they all can go ugly, lethal, in the blink of an eye. And, you know, hearing your, you know, your hubby's tale of how, you know, three officers go down, thankfully in your shooting, uh, no officers were hurt, if I understand that right. And um, you guys were, one of you was a great aim, because where did you shoot him? Uh, he was shot in the groin. Okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> nice shot. <laughs> wow. Good shooting, nice Uncle Annie. <laughs> and, and, you know, I never, we never knew who's around. We never could determine whether it was mine or the other female officer, uh, that shot whose it was but you both used um, glocks right we did yeah. yeah and a lot of people don't realize that glocks kind of like a shotgun effect where there's no ballistics involved yeah. and so forth so many shootings are very common that way yeah in fact yes yeah um talk a little bit about the fallout because you you left the apartment how long after you came to phoenix talk a little bit about any kind of a pts we never use the d because it's not a disorder <clears throat> uh can you talk right. a little bit about that um, yes, I was um, 
so I was on probation uh, about six months at the time, and you're on probation for your first year. So um, once I was off probation, um, I then um, lateraled over to Phoenix. I wanted the bigger city um, for a career with more advancement opportunities. And um, and as far as the uh, PTS, um, yes, I did have a little bit of it in the beginning, and uh, I can recall just be having sleepless nights. You, you'd think you'd be exhausted, but you just, you try to go to sleep. And again, I was not even shot at. And I just can't imagine these people that have been shot at or even shot because, oh, just the reoccurring dreams of being in a shooting and your the trigger pull is so heavy and you just you cannot pull the trigger. And when you do, the bullet is going slow motion towards the bad guy and like going down towards the ground. And it's just, it's, weird and the same thing it reoccurred for a long time and um other than that i don't recall um any other effects i mean every now and then i'll have the same kind of dreams but um i don't think it's affected me um you know since then fortunately and and talking about that connection again maryville and again for those uh, outside the the city uh let alone the state uh i apologize you you don't know what we're talking about it's just a uh a particular part of the phoenix just the west phoenix area that uh there it's active there's no other way to say it it's an active area every i can say it i was born and raised and grew up in maryville and i won't even drive through there (laughs) anymore so that's that's how you put it that's how you put it into perspective i grew up there i loved yeah. it it's a tough and I won't area even go back to visit. it's, yeah, a, tough it's area. a tough area especially for and again we talk about um um you know we you know people that are cops understand this if you're not on rotating shifts then the the most junior officers work the most difficult areas at the worst time and the worst days it's the junior cops working weekends at night in maryville and um so i kind of bring that in because i kind of want to know if you had come across uh greg in your travels probably by the time he came on phoenix he might have been promoted by then to sergeant uh did you have a chance to come across him and, and honored to come across him uh you know i recall um seeing him out on several calls uh when he was with sau um i don't remember SWAT when team. he was yeah uh, i don't recall um where I, I think he might have worked out of 700 and i don't he did you know i worked in nine so i didn't know him from that but you know, you run into this, the officers at training and such, and um, a lot of times you recognize the face but not the name. Or, um, and, and I just wanted to also point out to you, um, just to give, put it in perspective as far as officer-involved shootings, i got to tell you, um, I retired in June of 2015, and the last squad that I was on, actually a couple seconds from the last squad I was on, uh, every one of us, I think there were seven of us, every one of us had been in at least one officer-involved shooting. Wow. So it just goes to, including the sergeant. And, and I'm saying at least one. I mean, there was one guy that had been three. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredible, the odds. You um, bring I'm up, glad I finished what I did. You bring up such an important point. When I came on the department in 1986, uh, going from squad to squad to squad, and I probably worked at that time. They moved us around, oh, my gosh, just like, you know, chess pieces on a board. Oh, they I just, remember. They just I moved us everywhere. Yes. But to yes. your point... Every squad I was on, there was no one that was involved in a shooting. There really wasn't in oh, 1986. Wow. Every squad I was on, there was nobody. You can't go into a briefing room without half the people, in, at least Phoenix, yes. we're talking Phoenix, that were involved in a shooting in some mm-hmm. manner, whether they're shot at or they had to shoot or 
hopefully not injured, but many have been injured in the line of duty, let alone lost their lives like Greg. Um, but that's a valid yeah. point. It has absolutely gotten more dangerous um, as we become more technically advanced, as we have more um, weapons, least, less lethal. Uh, we have more avenues to de-escalate, and yet the violence keeps escalating we have more officers involved in shootings than than i can ever recall well, we, in my 30 years we continue to try to yeah. de-escalate while it seems the communities the general public journalists and especially uh the just incredible politicians we have in this country which i can think of exactly not one good one so i can think of one yeah, really? I have one. Well, yeah, yeah. Did, did you've doubled, you've doubled my love for for how many there are, but that has that has escalated, and the rhetoric toward police and the people's willingness to confront officers, to pull out their yes. cell phones, to say things, to try and get officers in trouble, it that's where the escalation comes. And you know what? I again, I was not in a shooting, and my line of duty injury was uh, just a boring old car accident. But I will argue with anybody and go up against anybody in, in what I teach at the academy is one simple thing has to remain for law enforcement. You go home at the end of the night. You have to exactly. do whatever it takes. So your levels of force as people want to escalate. And this call, as details come out with Commander Carnicle, is going to be an incredible learning tool that needs to be used throughout this country because I have seen and been on a lot of shootings. I've investigated a lot of 998s and 999s. This one is just, it's unbelievable to me. It's, it's, it's appalling in a lot of senses, but it's also, it just really puts things into a, almost a peaceful perspective, how this job can go from a boring, nothing Aren't those terrible terms? Should we even ever use those again? No. As a cop, as a cop, we get to the point where it's, it's a alarm call. But it's we a civil yeah. matter standby. But should we quit? Oh, it's a routine day. It's but a routine we, traffic stop. No. We got to, maybe, maybe it's time for law enforcement also to stop saying, and I guarantee you, you know what's sad? And I mean, I, I am certainly not saying one bad thing about uh, Car 4 or Commander Carnicle, but I guarantee you, Driving to that call, do you think he thought anything of it of in 31 years on? No. Thank you. Of the no. thousands and thousands call, this is and, another civil matter standby. And, He's, he was going to be tackling mine based on his uh, SWAT training, but there was no threat. And uh, in this next segment, I want to bring into, we're going to talk about how things have changed over yeah, the years. Yes, please. And we're now, because of the atmosphere out there as uh, jason perfectly talked about in terms of the media the politicians the celebrities and all this anti-cop rhetoric is creating an unsafe atmosphere for police because a stupid kid and i'll call him a kid 21 22 years of age no criminal record really to speak of not not defiant not threatening not and it's a non-crime ends up killing a commander and wounding two officers and the only thing they had to show that there was a threat or an, or a potential threat and we call it you know threat assessment is his failure to comply so when we come back we're going to talk about that awesome thank you kelly so much for 
uh, sharing and uh, for your service thank you. here in Phoenix. Thank you, uh, thank you Kelly. That, you know that means the world to You're me. Welcome. So thank you and enjoy. <laughs> thank you. Enjoy a healthy and happy retirement. Give Bill a kiss anywhere you want. Thank you. We'll be right back. <laughs> More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the Best True Crime Book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back, everybody. Darren, thank you for getting... Uh, your best friend. Uh, I know what it's like to have a best friend who's a police officer because he's the one that I heard about this shooting from, and and I I felt and heard his tears because he knew Greg very very well, uh, as well as he supervised Alicia and Marissa in training, and that is going to hit home for a lot of people. I mean, we what you're going to see on the news, what you're going to hear. And and rightfully so is most of what gets talked about is uh, Greg Carnicle and his murder, and it should and and so. it Properly should so. be talked about. But what most of us are going to be talking about is his family, his children, his life, and the other people who were on that scene. And the ripple effect goes. I mean, you talk about six degrees of separation. We all are affected in some way by this, this what took place on this scene. And in this segment, we're going to talk uh, about what's going on in law enforcement right now with the rise in Austin-involved shootings, the rise in murders and suicides and everything else. And Darren, you you were in a shooting. I've 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 responded to them. I've investigated them. I was never in one, and I'm eternally thankful uh, for that. I I never wanted to. I mean, I was have pulled my gun plenty of times because you know when you work in a big city, 
a lot of things go on and it, it gets a little hairy and dangerous and you, you go with your, the information you have at the time, you go with your gut, but I never had to use my gun and you did. And so I'd love to hear from you about how it escalates while you're trying to de-escalate it. That's our entire, that. Can I say something real quick? Please. I'm sitting in this studio with two former police officers. Now I've never worn a badge and I'm looking at Darren. How long ago were you shot? Just answer me that question real quick. Uh, gosh, I was shot at three times in the apartment. Uh, the one that we'll talk about very briefly. I don't want to go into me, me, me scenario, but uh, that was in 97. Okay. So we're talking a long time ago. 23 years. Right. 23 years. He's sitting here and as he's accessing the memories from that shooting, getting ready to talk about it because Jason wants him to, you can see that emotion coming to the surface. I see it welling up in your eyes as you're accessing that memory. So that's how important this stuff is to know that how deep this affects you with the PTS. It still affects you. Of course it does. So. Yeah. In the, the shootings that we've talked about uh, in regards to Greg Carnicle, um, the shooting that Bill responded to and the three officers that went down, thankfully they all lived. Um, the one that uh, his beautiful wife, Kelly, talked about in the sense that she shot this individual um, in the groin. And I take nice pleasure in that. I'm sorry. I, do. I, I take I, pleasure I, in that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A, a little uh, insult on injury on that uh, jerk who brought a gun yeah, out to. Yeah. Uh, in my situation, what is a little bit different is the sense that I killed a, a man. Uh, he was a, a bank robber, prolific bank robber, if, there's, if that's even the right word for someone who was just doing all these serial robberies. And he took such joy and glee in tormenting people doing these bank robberies. Uh, he was a serial bank robber. And the call came out. So I had the benefit in twofold from the, Marissa and Alicia, who were had a year or two on. I had good, t- you know, almost 10 years on at yeah. that point when I'm responding to a hot call, which is a crime in progress yeah. of a bank robber. And it was the details told us it was this individual we were looking for. As good yeah. patrol officers, we're aware of what's going on, the high kind of incidents that occur. You get the briefings, you know, the things are going on. This was someone that was on our radar for like a better phrase. So you had the benefit of already Thank being you. escalated. Exactly. I was already in red yes. as I'm rowing. Uh, so exactly right. And I'm going to talk a little bit as it relates to failure to comply. When a bad guy doesn't comply to a police officer, it means something. In Marissa and Alicia's situation, and sadly, Greg Carnicle, late fallen hero, Greg, um, they didn't have that benefit. They, no. they were going on a, I hate to use the word nothing call, but it's a call that we go on thousands of times, a civil matter stand, standby, and every cop treats every call as if something can happen. We, we all, especially somebody like Greg, who went to, um, you know, SWAT and canine, and he was extremely um, tactically minded. Okay. He was the right person to lead up those stairs. And I have no doubt that's why he did, did that. Um, because even though it's, I hate to use the word mundane, because as a, if you're listening and you haven't done police work, um, you realize nothing's mundane what we do. But as we police officers go from call to call to call to call, even though we treat every potential call as, as serious, and, but we're not in the red zone. And every cop knows what I'm talking about. You're not in that red zone. I was fortunate. When that call came out of this bank robber, I'm in the red zone. I'm responding, and I'm 
picturing what will come down. I get out there to the bank area. I have what's called a ProNet. The secret's out so I can kind of talk about it. I have this device that lets me know where the bait bill might be through an azimuth indicator. I have this machinery in my equipment back in the the mid-90s. And I had no indication, no signal. And we had information that this bank robber came in with a uh, a huge gun. And I can attest to that. It was huge. Uh, He also had what was referred to as a bomb, a grenade. What the panicked citizens in this bank or patrons in this bank didn't know is that when he pulled the pin and threw the grenade at them and they went screaming for their lives, it was a smoke grenade. So it created this great diversion for this very i hate to use word smart but a very savvy criminal he created this great diversion of smoke and panic and mayhem and he literally walked out with the rest of the patrons and the loot he was dressed in a three-piece suit with a duffel bag that was empty he then goes into the garage he then takes out his other wardrobe which is a um, a kind of just overalls and then puts his good suit into the duffel bag along with the loot. And then he gives away his getaway vehicle, which was the vehicle he rode in on. And I do mean rode. It was a pink bicycle. This is a type of mentality this Mr. Hollywood had. He comes riding in a three-piece suit wow. on a pink bicycle. So now what are we looking for? Of course, we're looking for a man with a three-piece suit on a pink bicycle riding away with a, a big backpack of loot. And he gives the bicycle to a transient who then takes off, and now the gauntlet of police officers are following this this transient on a pink bicycle, and rightfully so. But because I had the ProNet device, I chose to leapfrog to the other side of this complex, this bank, so that if he was doing this diversion, which I suspected, when he were, were to flee, he might go in the opposite direction. My belief or thoughts came true. I saw him, and I knew it was him the second I see this guy with the overalls with a big duffel bag we're talking the army style duffel bags big a duffel bag and it was full of his clothes and a lot of money and the guns and so forth the one gun he kept was this 357 eight inch barrel it was a cannon and he had it down by his side as we locked eyes on each other and so i got out of car and as bill talked about this was back in the radios didn't work very well. Right. And as the air unit is, and when we say air unit, that's the helicopter that's trying to create this perimeter because the, the gauntlet of police officers found out very quickly this was a transit with no money and it was a decoy, it was a diversion, which is what it was. So now, the, sadly for my purposes, this helicopter is clearing over me. He's talking about where everyone needs to reposition to kind of create this collapsed perimeter around the bank and I'm out with this bank robber and we're in this gunfight at the okay corral and that's pretty much what it was um i don't want to give a lot of details other than simply to say the gun was always by his side pointing downwards and as police officers we know you know once that moves towards me i'm going to shoot him because i'm reacting to his action which means i'm behind the eight ball he's going to be able to shoot me before i can shoot him that's the sad fact of police work and and so we take any advantage we can and there is none Second, that raises up towards me, I will shoot him. So as I'm screaming to him, please drop the gun, please drop the gun, please drop the gun, he's looking around. And I know because he's failing the failure to comply to my demands, I know I have the benefit 
of knowing that he is looking around to see when he shoots me where he's going to flee after this. He's looking to see where he's going to go after he shoots me. So I had that benefit where these officers at the chronicle shooting didn't have that. This was blindsided. This was, you know, a civil matter standby. I got a guy with a gun who just did an armed robbery who's going to try to shoot me. I know this. So as he raises his gun at me, I fire. Again, he's able to squeeze that trigger and shoot at me before I can even get off the first round. So we exchanged volleys. Sadless say, and I do mean this, he lost his life and I survived it. Why I, why I think it's so important to talk about his failure to comply to my demands is because so many times we will see videos of police situations where the public, and this is not me chastising the public because, my God, you've been awesome in talking about these fallen officers and you stand by the street, you put your hand on your chest. Um, It's such an outpouring of love that I don't want to come off as ungrateful because thank you, thank you, thank you. But when the ugly video comes six months from now, 10 months from now, and there's a video and you see it and you see an officer wrestling with somebody who's non-compliant and you hear some of the media. I have friends in the media who will say failure to comply should not be a death sentence. And they're talking in terms of just because someone doesn't comply with a police officer, a police officer shouldn't shoot them. And even though at face value, that's clearly uh, accurate, it's also not a death sentence to that police officer. It should not be a death sentence to that police officer. And many times what the public doesn't realize, what some of these media folks don't realize, dear friends of mine even, is that we see the great carnival shootings where somebody failed to comply. That kid simply failed to comply to their request because it wasn't even a, a crime All right. at that point. When he, fi- he That was the only sign of an escalation, a threat to them. That was it. That was the only red flag they had to go on. The only red flag that Bill had, you know, in, in watching this go down was hearing nothing going on on that on that radio that was his red flag that oh something's bad no sergeants are taking control of this scene when kelly went on her call and that person came out with a gun that was her red flag that she was being threatened there was a guy with a gun a rifle and mine of course was the fact that he had that gun by his side and wasn't listening to me but it's the same Failure to comply that any police officer gets when someone refuses to take their hands out of their pocket or refuses um, to listen to them and is walking away. We don't know why they're doing that. We, we can't read their minds. They don't have the benefit that I had in terms of I know I'm dealing with a bank robber who is scaring people and has shot at people. Um, they don't have that benefit. They just have a situation that they don't know enough about. They have an individual like this 21-year-old idiot kid who killed a a stellar police officer who went up the ranks from officer in Maryville, one of the toughest areas, to uh, SWAT, to canines. To, he's just such a good human being. And for us to lose him is... Two months before retirement. And uh, I, I guess you go on. But my point being is that when you, you the listening audience, who's not a police officer, because trust me, the, the police officers listening, I'm preaching to the choir. They know exactly what I'm saying. When we have a situation where there's someone who's not listening to the cops and they're becoming resistant and non-compliance, that is a threat. 
on the threat assessment level, that is a threat. Yes. And that's why we may appear heavy-handed. It's not heavy-handed. It's we have to control that situation because we don't know what their end game is. We don't know why they're doing this. It's because they have a homicide warrant and they're planning to kill us, or it's because they're just stupid and they're listening to the stupid anti-police rhetoric that's going on between politicians, the media, celebrities. Everyone needs to ratchet down their stupid anti-cop rhetoric because you're creating a negative atmosphere and a dangerous atmosphere for us. Yeah, you bring up uh, several good points. First, on the law enforcement side, with the failure to comply, immediately your thought needs to go to, I have a right to go home tonight. I have a right to protect myself. But in some ways, more importantly, you have a duty to protect and serve. That's what you are sworn to do. And if somebody is failing to comply, you you really don't know what is going to come out of that later. Now, it's not the cell phone videos and it's and showing the heavy handedness and the lawsuits. You don't know who you have protected. We never get to see that part of it. So I completely agree with you. Failure to comply is not only a threat, it is a huge threat because good people comply with simple requests from the police. If somebody doesn't, there has to be a reason behind that. And you are... And that's my fear is I'm afraid that because of the ugly rhetoric that we're getting from politicians, from the media, from celebrities, all this bad cop stuff that we may not have good people, but maybe not bad people not complying to us. And they're creating a dangerous atmosphere yeah. for them I, as well as us. I can't I can't tell you, Darren, the other night, I, I think my first tweet, uh, you know, and I, I, I usually stay very positive on social media. But right after this happened, I think if I went back and looked, my first tweet simply said, fuck with an exclamation point, because I knew details that had not come out yet on the news. So I wasn't, uh, it was not my place to say anything, but I was just so overcome. Like I had to say something. I had to express myself and my kids were looking at me and it wasn't going to scream at them, you know. Um, but then as I'm reading, because the only way that I could keep up with, uh, nobody really knew anything. And I was more like we talked about earlier. I thought Alicia was the second death. I thought I thought we had two dead officers. And so I'm trying to get the, uh, you know, I'm just following everybody. I'm waiting for Vince Feedy to say something. I'm, I'm reading all the media. And what kept, and I had to, I can't tell you how many tweets that I wrote or clicked on retweet, wrote a comment, and then I had to delete. I had to say, Jason, this is not you. Don't do this emotionally. Yes. But every one of them that I'm talking about were these politicians that for the past 364 days bad-mouthed law enforcement. And then all of a sudden, our thoughts and prayers are with Phoenix PD. You know what? Go to hell because you are you're so full of shit. You're part of the problem. You're so transparent. You're part you're of the problem. lying. And, of course, I'm talking about the politicians right here in Arizona. The state I'm born and raised, and I don't care if any of you are listening, I'll talk about every one of you. Your thoughts and prayers are meaningless. You're in a position to do something to help law enforcement, so do it instead of bad-mouthing law enforcement until, so, because you don't really care about, <laughs> I mean, the, the politicians don't know, Greg, the way you did. They're using this they political did not, moment. They did not teach 
Alicia and Marissa down at the Academy like I did, like my friends did. They, they have no ripple effect from this. All they know is, oh my gosh, if I don't say my thoughts and prayers are with Phoenix PD right now, then it's going to look bad for me when I try to get reelected. But tomorrow when I wake up, I'm not going to do anything to help it's political, it's yeah, political so posturing. They, you know, I appreciate what the community is doing. Um, I'll tell you, you know, something else that's really breaking my heart right now. And, and uh, this might not mean a lot to other people, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, we're in the middle of this Corona virus thing. We're, you know, I just saw a little while ago. that We're all that, six feet from each other. Uh, we are. Um, I just saw, you know, a few minutes ago that the, the governor of Florida has ordered a statewide uh, stay at home. I mean, this is a serious deal. People are dying and it, people are dying from this. And this, it, it is a tough world that we live in. Uh, they're saying it's, I the, know it's the most devastating thing since world war two that's going on in the world right now. And that is true is. when something like this happens and you know what, maybe I would get pushback or, or backlash from saying that, that one life, matters more than another one. And it, it doesn't in terms of, you know, a lot of fathers die, a lot of husbands die, uh, people are dying of COVID. But what I'm talking about right here, right now, is it brings me to tears. To th- I have been to a lot of police funerals, a lot. And they are a, it is a, it is a presence. It is a, it is a statement that the public and the media, and all the officers in uniform, firefighters, everybody shows up. It's a statement that gets to be made. Not only are you honoring the person at the funeral, but you are standing up and saying evil is not going to win. Good is going to prevail. Supporting the family. And, and when you talk about Commander Greg Carnicle, this guy's funeral should be just, and it would be, except we are in the midst of this quarantine and what there have been no details released, but it truly breaks my heart to, to think that I cannot put on a suit and tie and I cannot go stand and shoulder sit to shoulder in a church, stand shoulder to shoulder, get in that 25 mile long six hour procession. And unless you've been in one, I know a lot of people listening have, it is the most moving unbelievable thing to witness and to be a part of. And the tribute is not just about Greg. The family will have their private service. The family is going beyond for each other. Solidarity. Yes. The family's going to what they're going through behind closed doors right now. My heart goes out to them, but the community and the, and the rest of us, we need that closure also. And the thought that Greg is not going to get the send off, and that, that we don't he, get it. That he has earned, and, and we, we don't, don't get it. Get it. Yeah. Yes, because I'm with you, brother. everybody has to, and you know, Alicia and Marissa, to, to think that they were in that house with him were some of the last people to hear his voice, and they're not going to be able to go say a proper goodbye. That's, that's going to be held to live. So unfair. And it's just, yeah, there's just so much. I could talk for hours and but hours about all this, and I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from what the world is going through. This Corona thing is devastating, but the coronavirus does not get to take away from the life that Greg led and the tribute that we should all be able to give him and to honor 
everybody else. And we're not going to see that this week. And oh my God, it just, we have to do it privately. Uh, we have to do it privately. And it's, it's, and it's very different because again, I have been to, unfortunately, a lot of funerals for police officers, but they, they mean something. They matter. I mean, I, when I investigated David Uribe's murder, we worked nonstop. All of us did. Darren, you remember this? Oh, Adam was uh, on my squad. His son, his son yeah. was on duty when it had. So, yeah. you know how many hours we worked. You know what went into. And when I say we, I'm talking about the entire Phoenix Police the Department family. But we had these suspects arrested and in jail. Prior, it took about 53 hours. 53 emotional, exhausting, proud, proud hours of police, my proudest week of my life. But then after that was done, I got to go to David's funeral and I will never forget how moving it was and selfishly what it did for me with my limited involvement of his murder. I needed that funeral. Yeah. I needed to experience that, that day from the church and my friends and the rest of us in tears, to the procession, to the bagpipes, to the missing man formation that our helicopters do. I mean, there is just so much poetry and, and necessary beauty that goes into that, that ceremonial ceremony, and it's not going to happen, and it breaks my heart for all of us to know that Greg, because of, uh, of, and again, I truly mean this, no life is more valuable than another one but if anybody deserves the true uh pomp and circumstance send-off that a law enforcement funeral provides it's greg carnicle absolutely and, he, and he's not going to get it and, you're just talking respect oh uh, yeah. yeah it's uh man mm-hmm. i'm just i'm just so heartbroken right now i can't even i, I can't even believe it and i wasn't there that i am so emotional about this and yet i didn't even know the guy and I'm not a part of his family. I'm not, I wasn't on that scene. I wasn't on his squad. He wasn't my boss. If I am this emotional, think of the hundreds of people right now, as we sit here and run our mouths about this, think of the hundreds of people that are just purely devastated and they can't even leave their house. And I'm going to take that sentiment, which was so beautifully relayed and conveyed and it's, it's spot on. And now think of, and, and kind of, um, if you will extend that to Marissa and Alicia, oh. uh, who are in the hospital, and we got the information that please do not go to the hospital because yeah, of COVID-19. And we can't, yeah, people and can't go visit. People and can't. That was so important to you. You shared such a beautiful story uh, as you awakened from the hospital and how important oh it was to gosh. have your brothers and sisters there. It, it was nonstop. You. Thank non-stop you. Nonstop people coming and going. And how important and I, that was. It, was. it was everything. It was everything. And yes, you're being... Uh, I, I can't imagine being in that position and having uh, hospital staff say, I'm sorry, but we can't allow anybody to come visit because of the world. It's just a devastating it's, time. It's a sad and, state of affairs. Well, I'll tell you, March, I, March is a shitty month for the Phoenix Police Department, Darren. It's been you a had, tough week, you let had, alone days. Well, but in the history, like, you know, it was just a year ago, March 21st, yes. that Paul Rutherford was yes. killed in the line of duty. March 26th. Mark Axon, March 26th, my accident. March 29th now, Greg Carnicle. March is, 
when next March rolls around, I I'm just going to be on edge, uh, not personally, but for the city of Phoenix. It yeah. is a horrible, horrible month, and I don't get, I don't get why. Um, I'm glad. I mean, today's April, April first, April Fool's Day. And I and had this is there's I, not a damn joke. I had a, going on a complete different schedule for today. I had I an actor who was going to pretend to be. You ready for this? Bill de Blasio. I was going to do an April Fool's joke on you, the listeners. I was going to bring in Bill de Blasio, who I was going to say is a beacon of support and solidarity for law enforcement everywhere. Everybody and, knows he's my favorite guy. Exactly. And then I was going to talk about Chicago prosecutor who helped us get true justice with Jesse Smollett. And I was just going to make a have fun with a clear April Fool's joke. And we're doing this, which is more important because this is well, what in I place do? of the ceremonial. We talked earlier. Uh, you talked to Bill uh, yeah. earlier that yes. you, you, you were sharing with our audience that he was the first person you talked to. Oh, he and, called instantly. But do you remember me texting you that night? I do. And what was the first thing I said? We need to change our show this week. Yep. Yep. I don't I didn't even know who our guy I don't know who you had planned because as everybody knows that's how we do it. You bring our guests and I just kind of <laughs> And you knock out of the ballpark. I, I fall in I, I throw the ball the mix, and yeah. you hit it out of the ballpark. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, and I love I love it but that's all I thought about is like we have to change our yes, show this yeah. week. And again we were because, completely on the same sheet of music. Uh, we can't talk about anything else except And so it's the this. it's shows like this, not just this show, but shows like this, podcasts like this, the law enforcement uh, Facebook sites, it's that type of solidarity that we as a family of blue, not yeah. just the Phoenix Police Department, but every ripple that crosses because we all feel the pain of each other because we've all seen this. We've all gone to these funerals and we all need that sense of solidarity to the ceremonial process. And we're not going to have that. And so it shows like this It's talking it's the Facebook. It's now a new world we're living in uncharted territory and we need to embrace each other and stop the ugly rhetoric and i know i'm not talking to anyone out, out there i'm talking to you the politicians you the media you the celebrities you the that have some type of political posturing where you want to talk anti-police stuff you're making it dangerous for all police officers and i truly believe that based on people not complying when this 21 year old idiot kid failed to comply and decided he was going to take a gun and destroy so many lives yeah, and in closing, uh, obviously there's no inspirational moments this week. And of course, because it's, it is it is truly what we feel and it's the right thing to say, my thoughts, my prayers are with everybody. Thank Greg Carnival for his, Carnival for his great years of service and dedication to Phoenix. But you know what, that's not what I'm thinking or what I want to say. What I want is Greg home with his family right now. And what I want is for Marissa and Alicia to not have bullet scars and then the scars that they're going to carry that nobody's ever going to see for the rest of their lives. But again, the ripple effect that this causes to so many people out there, that's who we need to think about. And please take care of each other. Please ask the questions if, and, and talk and try to get through this because we can't change it. We can't take it back. It did happen. Greg was murdered. Law enforcement needs to learn from it. The people who are on scene need to come to terms with it somehow with their, the PTS that's coming down the line and for, for a lot of people. Darren, you, you knew Greg. You're very emotional today. You've shed a lot of tears today. Imagine being in that house. 
with him. And that's what these young officers have to deal with. The, the lieutenant who ran in there and, and, and got him out. Uh, I mean, that's not something you just go back to work the next day and like, oh, yeah, yes, it was. Uh, that's over, so I'll, I'll move on to today. You don't. And uh, so while my thoughts and my prayers, of course, go out to everybody in the family, uh, more importantly, we have to see the layers underneath that. It's not those, those words don't don't do it. And uh, we have to actually take action and understand that that uh, this is a traumatic event. Uh, and somewhere in this country, this same traumatic event is going to happen again today. Somewhere an officer is going to be involved in a shooting. Somewhere an officer might die in the line of duty today. And you're talking about friends and family and human beings that are affected. So uh, as we battle the coronavirus and the self-quarantine and trying to wash our hands and stay safe and healthy, uh, let's not forget everything else that's going on as well. Uh, God bless everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless you, Greg. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys. Batch Boys.